Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, so we're still reading The Pesky Kids 5, The Final Mission, and I'll get into that in a second. Uh, We've actually only got a a few chapters left to go, so I think uh, I'm just going to be reading probably chapters 22, 23, and 24 today, but there's only 28 chapters in the book, so I think we'll finish off this the final book in the Pesky Kids series, either next week or the week after. So that's pretty cool because we'll be getting back into uh, like the Greek myths and the histories and tall tales and all those stories um, that I write specially for the podcast. Uh, Now, speaking of such, I have just this week put on sale some tickets for live shows. So there'll be a live show in Sydney at the Riverside Theatre and in Canberra at the Belco Arts Centre. And they're coming up in September. And the reason they're in September is because that's when the book of this podcast, it's literally called Bedtime Stories with R.A. Spratt, this book. And it's huge. It's like 85,000 words long. And I think it's like 27 stories from the podcast. And there's all sorts of extra things in there like a uh, there's recipes and I've drawn a map of the geography of storytelling and there's all sorts of bits and pieces, all like fun facts. There's lots of fun facts in that book as well. So that book um, that I've been working on for a while now, that's coming out in September. So instead of just having a regular book launch, I am going to do two podcast live record shows. Um, so that's what I'll be doing at the Riverside and the Belco Arts Centre. So please do buy tickets. Uh, I will put a link to the tickets in the the thingamabob with the info that goes with this episode, that if you check your phone or wherever you've downloaded it, there'll be like a link. Or you can go to my website, rasprat.com, and there's at the top, it says live shows, and you can click on that on the banner, and it'll bring up all the live shows I've got coming up. Now, if you're not in Sydney or Canberra, and I know you're probably now thinking, but what about me? When are you going to do a live show here? Well, if you're in Brisbane or Melbourne, I will be doing uh, the Christmas show, Christmas Stories with R.A. Spratt in December. So hold your horses. I'm coming to you. Tickets will be on sale in the next week or so. And if you are further afield, um, I have big plans for 2024. So hopefully I will get to um, travel other places in Australia, maybe even internationally at some stage in 2024. I mean, I'm just one person and I'm doing my best to expand these live theatrical shows as much as possible. Um, And it's gone really well so far. Thank you for everyone who has come to. I've done four shows now in in Sydney, Melbourne, and just this last week with uh, the Hamlet launch. And that's all gone really well. So it's boding well for me being able to expand this out and visit more people in more places. All right. Well, that's all the, the housekeeping business. So let's just get into the fun part and I will read you this week's chapters. Here we go. Chapter 22, Undisclosed Location. 
When Loretta had gone to the council to find out if Joy slash Jacinta owned any property, she'd not expected to wind up anywhere so spooky. It was unnerving turning off the main road and heading up the long dirt track into the bush. But Loretta had Vlad for company, and it's hard to feel intimidated when you're riding a 16-hand-high horse. Vlad walked carefully over the rocky ground. Loretta was cautious too. She didn't want Vlad to put his foot down a wombat hole and break his leg. She kept him moving forward at a slow, steady pace as they went further and further into the depths of the forest. Up ahead she could hear water, the trickle of a creek moving over stones. Vlad heard it too and started towards the sound. He was thirsty. As they broke through the tree line, Vlad made for the creek, but Loretta's eye was caught by something high above them on the opposite bank. It was a tree house, but not something ramshackle put together by kids using shipping pallets and baling twine. This was a proper house, smartly painted with gables and drain pipes and window boxes. It was pretty and neat as a pin. It just happened to be ten metres up among the branches of a huge tree. Wow, said Loretta. She slid off Vlad, leaving him to drink as she approached the treehouse. There was no visible sign of how you were meant to get up. Loretta looked about. There must be some sort of ladder or pulley system. Unless it wasn't a treehouse, it was just a house that had been caught up in a hurricane and landed in a treetop. But they didn't get hurricanes in Currawong, so that option was unlikely. Then Loretta spotted a string. The end had been looped around a lower branch. From there, it stretched up into the canopy. Loretta reached up and pulled it. A bell clanged somewhere above her. Oh, it's a doorbell, said Loretta to herself. She looked up to see if there was any response, but she should have looked down. Suddenly, the ground disappeared from under her feet, and Loretta found herself falling. She landed with a thud. Luckily, she'd hit feet first, crumpling into the ground. Loretta knew crumpling was an important part of surviving an impact. All studies into motor vehicle accidents always showed this. But even so, it had been a drop of a couple of metres, and she felt like she jarred every joint in her body. She took a couple of deep breaths to calm herself, while checking that her arms, legs and bottom were still all right. It would be hard to ride Vlad home if she damaged her bottom. She seemed to be in one piece, so Loretta turned her thoughts to getting out. Loretta looked up. Getting out would not be easy. The top of the hole was three metres above her, and the walls were sheer. She supposed she should be grateful that it wasn't an elephant trap, like in the movies, and there weren't spikes at the bottom to land on. Loretta shielded her eyes against the direct glare of the sunlight, searching for something she could use to escape. A person appeared above her. They were silhouetted against the sunlight. Loretta had to shield her eyes to make out who it was. Joy? asked Loretta. How wonderful to see you! I was so worried about you. I'm glad you're all right. But then another face appeared alongside Joy. This face was even more surprising. Ingrid! exclaimed Loretta. What are you doing here in the middle of the forest? And why are you with Joy? Joy and Ingrid glanced at each other. Neither of them was a chatty person, but they seemed to say a lot in that silent glance. Oh! said Loretta. Dominoes were starting to fall in her brain. That's the reason you couldn't marry Mr Pesky. You said you loved another. It's joy, isn't it? 
Oh, how wonderful. Karawong needs more diversity. Obviously, we already do have a lot of diversity. We've got ethnic diversity and an abundance of mental health diversity. But orientation diversity, that's so exciting. Oh, now we can have a Mardi Gras. We could just leave her in the hole, said Joy. I know, said Ingrid, but we can't. It would be wrong. Ingrid fetched a rope ladder and lowered it into the hole. Half an hour later, they were all sitting up in the treehouse, sharing a cup of tea. Well, that's the end of chapter 22, so let's keep reading. Chapter 23. Democracy. It was day five of the potato celebrations. A polling booth had been set up in the CWA rooms. From 4 to 7pm, the residents of Currawong could come in and place their vote for the potato princess. Voting wasn't compulsory, but there was still an incredibly high voter turnout because they were essentially bribed. Everyone who voted got tea and scones. And who can resist free, jam-covered, cream-laden scones? Not the residents of Currawong, that's for sure. A huge queue snaked out of the building and down to the end of the block. Finn and Joe were waiting in line, and Neil had come along with them. "'Why are we even here?' asked Finn. "'April and Aretta are the ones actually in the pageant, and neither of them has bothered coming.' "'April said it was stupid,' said Joe. "'Don't know where she is.' "'The pound,' said Neil. "'What?' asked Finn. "'It's Friday,' said Neil. "'She goes to the pound every Friday to talk to the dogs.' She does, said Finn. How do you know that, asked Joe. Neil blushed. Have you been following her, asked Finn. Neil shrugged, which was equivalent to a weeping confession for a boy like him. Stalking is illegal, said Tom. He was standing behind them in the line and had been listening in. Eavesdropping is rude, Finn countered. I can't help who I listen in on, said Tom. I'm vision impaired. I've got to listen to everything. And trust me, there are plenty of conversations I'd like to turn off. Neil looked like he was about to die of embarrassment, so Finn took pity on his friend and changed the subject. Where's Loretta then? She usually loves stuff like this. Joe shrugged. He and Neil were really equals in the terrible conversationalist department. Said she had a lead. What sort of lead? asked Finn. A dog lead? A lead for her horse? In police investigations, a lead is a piece of information that may help solve a crime, said Tom. No one's committed a crime, said Joe. Loretta does sail pretty close to the wind, said Finn. If she didn't have her lawyer on speed dial to check the technicalities for her, I wouldn't be so sure of that. Let me go! Take your hands off me! A ruckus had broken out at the start of the line. The boys peered around the crowd to see what was going on. Is that April? asked Joe. Starting a fight at the CWA is the type of thing she would do. No, said Tom. He wasn't craning his neck to look. He was tilting his head to listen. That's Daisy Odenstotter's voice. Sure enough, two seconds later, Constable Pike was dragging Daisy away from the polling station. This is police brutality, yelled Daisy. I'm telling my mum about this. You can't intimidate the elderly, said Constable Pike calmly. He had a firm grasp of Daisy's elbow, but he was trying very hard to behave with the utmost propriety because there were so many witnesses. I didn't intimidate the old duck, said Daisy. I was just holding her scorn for her. You snatched her scone and said you wouldn't give it back unless she changed her vote to one for you, accused Constable Pike. Well, she's blind and deaf, yelled Daisy. I don't believe for a second she didn't mean to vote for me. She lives next door. She thinks I'm lovely. 
Constable Pike kept Daisy walking at a brisk pace before she could intimidate anyone else. She certainly intimidated him. He was glad he'd cast his vote already. He wouldn't put it past her to wrestle the taser out of his holster and blast him with it. "'What are you looking at?' demanded Daisy, as she was frog-marched past Joe. "'Nothing,' said Joe, as he quickly stared at the footpath. "'You're going down tomorrow,' said Daisy. She really could be incredibly menacing for a 15-year-old. "'You can't threaten people while you're being arrested for intimidating people,' said Constable Pike. "'I'm competing against him in tomorrow's Capture the Potato game,' said Daisy. "'It's not threatening when it's in sport. It's gamesmanship.' Well, you can explain all that in your official statement, said Constable Pike, as he led her off to the station. Once Daisy was out of earshot, Finn turned to Joe and asked, So who are you voting for? Huh? said Joe. April or Loretta? asked Finn. Joe hadn't thought that far ahead. He was only there because of the free scones. It hadn't occurred to him that he'd have to choose between his sister and Loretta, who claimed to be both his sister and his girlfriend, which was very disconcerting and troubling. Democracy could be so complicated. Well, that's the end of chapter 23, but let's keep going. Chapter 24, Things That Go Bump in the Night. It was the night before the potato pageant. The pesky kids were nervous. Well, Joe and April were nervous. Finn was manically excited. Mum was in her constant state of hyper Mum was in her constant state of hypervigilance, and Dad was in a panic but he had been in a constant state of panic for 11 years, so that was nothing new. Whether through nervous exhaustion or because of the gruelling training they'd endured, they all fell fast asleep by midnight. Not even Mum heard the intruder sneaking up to the house, not until the front door smashed open. Mum might not have heard the approach, but the second the door flew off its hinges, she was wide awake and in motion. She whipped out of bed, along the corridor, down the staircase, and had crash-tackled the home invader before they'd taken three paces inside. The grappling match that ensued was brutal, but Mum had not paused to turn the lights on, so she had no idea whose arms she was twisting and neck she was squeezing. She just knew they were a highly trained operative, and she was wrestling with someone who knew just about as much about violence as she did. Every attack was met with ingenious counterattack. Mum had never confronted such an equal opponent. She began to think about weapons. If she couldn't overpower the intruder with physical force, she'd have to get to the kitchen and the knife drawer. But it never got that far. The light suddenly flashed on. Joe was standing at the top of the staircase, his hand on the switch. April, Finn and Loretta were with him. Mum discovered she was wrestling with her old boss, Professor Maynard. This was enormously shocking. But Mum had been trained not to pause, no matter how terrifying a position you find yourself in. There was no way she could beat Maynard in unarmed combat. Maynard had trained her. She was a master of all the martial arts, jiu-jitsu, judo and hapkido, as well as the unsportsmanlike art of biting. Mum had only one chance to save her family. She suddenly released Maynard, rolled away and sprinted full speed for the kitchen. She had to get a weapon, a good one. Mum slid across the kitchen floor in her socks and wrenched open the drawer. But the big knife wasn't there. Then she remembered. Harold had been chopping pumpkin the night before. She lunged for the dishwasher, wrenched it open, found the knife and sprinted back to protect her family. But when she got back to the hallway, she discovered there was no need for protection. Joe, Finn, Loretta and April had made their way downstairs and they were standing over Professor Maynard, who was still lying on the floor, groaning a little. For once, Pumpkin wasn't barking. He was nestled quietly in April's arms. Even Harold was hovering a short distance away. Normally, he'd be running out the back door, screaming just at the sight of Professor Maynard, his old arch-nemesis. 
What's going on? asked Mum. Don't get too close to her. She can't be trusted. She's hurt, said Finn. Stay back, said Mum. It could be a trick. Mum carefully edged closer. Maynard's face was a deathly pale, almost grey colour. Her breathing was shallow. Bertha! Oh, thank goodness you're still all right. Maynard struggled to get the words out between laboured breaths. I came as fast as I could. What happened to you? asked April. Have you had some sort of accident? Or are you dying a natural death of old age? I was ambushed at my office, gasped Maynard. She pulled up the sleeve of her blouse. Her arm beneath was hideous. It was swollen and discoloured, a horrible red and purple hue. Ugh, said Finn, as his eyes rolled back in his head and he fainted. Joe caught him before he hit the ground. That doesn't look good, said Loretta. It was a dart, said Maynard. She pulled something out of her pocket and held it out to Mum. Mum carefully took it from her grasp. It's a poison dart, she said. The only operatives I've known to use them are in South America or... Papua New Guinea, interrupted Maynard. That's why I came here. You realise you're not in Papua New Guinea, right? asked Finn. I don't understand, said Mum. I can't help you with this. Not you, said Maynard, impatiently. You! She pointed her other hand weakly at Dad. You're the world-leading expert on the toxic plants of Papua New Guinea. Everyone turned to look at Dad. Is that true? asked Loretta. I didn't know you were secretly so interested, Mr Pesky. Dad was biting his lip. Yes, I was contracted to study orchid toxins as part of my master's thesis. That's how I met your mother. She wandered into the wrong office one day at the university. Mum smiled fondly at Dad. There had been nothing accidental about this meeting. She'd needed to acquire a nerve agent and stole it right off Dad's desk. She'd been ordered to pursue a relationship with him because his toxin research was so promising and the agency wanted to monitor it more closely. I have seen this before, said Dad, crouching down and taking a closer look at Professor Maynard's arm. It is very serious. If the poison is allowed to continue, it will eventually cause a collapse of the nervous system, which will lead to heart failure. Maynard closed her eyes, bracing herself for the worst. But, said Dad, there is an antitoxin that can be made from the flowers of the Minerva orchid. It's a very rare orchid found in the mountains of northeastern Papua New Guinea. That's a six-hour flight and three-day hike from here, said Mum. Yes, agreed Dad. If you had to find one in the wild, it would be a very difficult journey. But I do have a specimen in my greenhouse, and it's in flower right now. I could prepare a balm. Maynard's eyes flickered open. Do it, urged Mum. But Dad didn't move. Are you sure, said Dad? Should we be saving her? What is wrong with you, demanded April. All life is sacred, even the life of no good psychos like her. You don't get to make decisions like that. Just save her. It's the right thing to do. Dad nodded. April was right. He took off running, well, shuffling quickly. Dad couldn't really run. He hurried out the French doors, disappearing into the darkness of the night. Bertha, said Professor Maynard, my whole operation has been compromised. I don't really care, said Mum. You hung my family out to dry here. This place is swarming with operatives. You're on your own. No, said Professor Maynard. I've been protecting them all. Professor Maynard broke down in a coughing fit. (coughs) She struggled desperately, wheezing for breath before she could talk again. (coughs) 
I've been stashing defectors and witnesses in Kurrawong for decades. Anyone who needed protecting from the collective or double agents within our own organisation. You're kidding, said Loretta. Why Kurrawong? This place is perfect, said Maynard. The igneous rock beneath the subsoil combines with the water table to release naturally occurring radioactivity. I knew there was something wrong with the water here, said April. It makes this place impossible to observe with electronic or satellite surveillance, said Maynard. In the world of espionage, Kurrawong is invisible. Until now. What happened, asked Mum. Who betrayed us? I'll kill them. You did, said Maynard. When you escaped from prison, you were tracked here. No, said Mum. Maynard coughed. Her breathing was rattly because there was so much fluid in her lungs. <coughs> the collective lured me into sending my entire team to their new base in Siberia. It was a trick. They're on their way here now. You have to get out. Maynard broke down into another coughing fit. <coughs> Mum looked up at the kids. We've got to get out of here. Put as much distance between ourselves and this town as possible. No, said Joe. You're not the parent here, Joe, said Mum. We've got to go. No, interrupted Joe. You left. I had to step up. You can't come back and act like that did not happen. I said no. We're not going anywhere. The others were stunned. He'd said several sentences without a single stammer. Even Mum was taken aback. Besides, said Loretta, it's the potato pageant tomorrow and we're all involved. But it's just a stupid potato festival, said Mum. This is life and death. That is such an un-Kurrawongian thing to say, chided Finn. It's a festival and it's potatoes. Both of those things are important in this town. Besides, we never did what Maynard wanted before, said April, so I'm not going to start listening to her just because her arm's gone purple. But she said the collective are coming, said Mum. For all we know, she is collective, said Finn. This is madness, said Mum. It's the potato pageant, said Loretta. It always makes people go a bit loopy. And that is the end of the chapter. So we'll leave it there. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>